Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A couple things are going on with the virus, uh, both locally and internationally, uh, Dr. Jim Keeney, who's been so kind as to uh, join us on like a moment's notice. Jim is always good. Uh, Jim, thank you uh, so much uh, for joining us. I know that you uh, leave patients in dire straits to come on to the air and you actually say, hey, sorry about that, guys. I know you need help, but I've got to go on handle show. Uh it's always yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, I know. It's always appreciated. <laughs> all right. A couple of stories uh, I uh, want you to jump in on. First of all, uh, the one about the mutation in uh, United Kingdom, which is causing worldwide concern. Uh, it's a variant of the coronavirus. Uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, how dangerous? What do we know about it? What we don't know about it? Sure. So, I mean, let's talk about mutations first, because, okay, so, you know, you have your your uh, stereo system, you know, your amplifier, you go in there and you start randomly moving wires around. For the most part, it's not going to make it work better, right? It's going to make it work worse. And so that's what most mutations do to a virus. So it is. it does mutate. The coronavirus is much different than the flu, though. I mean, I don't want people thinking like all our experience with the flu is that it mutates like crazy, which is true. I mean, the thing mutates almost hourly um, compared to the coronavirus, which is relatively stable. So we're not going to run into this issue where we've got constant mutations on the coronavirus that are impacting us. Um, this virus, uh, vaccine, or this one seems to actually allow it to be more transmissible. So this is an effective, uh, apparently. See, I'm only looking at press releases, so that makes me a little nervous, right? That I haven't seen any actual scientific papers. I'm, right, I'm I know, and I know you're high. Uh, there's a lot of hypotheticals here, but there is some yeah, basis yeah. on. And I want to ask you about the flu, and I want you to and ask me what you know and what you think. And I understand that a lot of it is speculative. Yeah. So, I mean, the bottom line is that, yeah, it's, it's not unexpected that the most effective, uh, you know, mutation is the one that's going to get passed on the most. And so we saw that early on, right, you know, where uh, the most the, the, the one that spread easiest, not necessarily the most deadly, is the one that spreads across the world. And so that could be the case here as well where we have something that's more easily spread, it's a different variant. The question is going to be, now that we have vaccines that go after this target of the spike protein, will it be enough of a mutation on the spike protein that it's like a lock and a key as far as your antibody to the spike protein, that will it still fit? And will that antibody still neutralize the spike protein? That's really going to be the key all along. Uh, the good news is, is that the vaccine itself is this, for Pfizer and Moderna, is this synthetic process where you can cut out that little middle piece that makes the spike protein and change it to anything you want. Now, I'm thinking that's going to have to go through the FDA process again if they do it, um, but I'm not sure about that. But, uh, but it's easy to change. And we've already shown that it's relatively effective. So, you know, I'm not too concerned about this yet. I mean, I think it's something you keep an eye on, but this doesn't raise a lot of concern for me at this right. point. Well, that's good news. So that leads into two questions. 
Uh, as far as the flu vaccine is concerned, I'm assuming that if this thing mutated as quickly as the flu does every year, we're in a world of hurt beyond what we can imagine, or uh, that with this new technology uh, where uh, synthetic technology can go right in there and remove that spike, uh, we will at some point be able to take care of the flu and we uh, will be basically at 100% on the vaccine. Can you comment on either one of those? Yeah, so flu, it's a different target that we're going after. It doesn't have that kind of, uh, you know, envelopes and a spike protein and all of that. So uh, with the flu, you're going, remember the H's and the N's? We talk about the H1N1, right. H, you know, that's, that's the protein we're going after with the flu. And that one mutates regularly. So it mutates so fast. Like even the flu uh, medicine that we give, that, you know, to treat flu that we have, the, the, the virus will mutate around that medication within a few days of you taking it, which is why we only give it for five days, because we know that after five days, the flu will be mutated from it. So, um, you know, the bottom line is that they are very different in uh, the, the um, coronavirus and the flu virus. So it is hard to take anything from that we're learning from corona and translate it across. Although, I mean, this new mRNA uh, vaccine might be something that we apply to the flu in the future. Absolutely. We just do it kind of in a, using a different mechanism. Got it. Uh, the story that is, um, well, I mean, e- even the headline in the L.A. Times uses the word wrenching uh, to describe uh, what is happening, the rationing of health care as the crisis worsens. Uh, now, when we talk about rationing of care, we talk about natural disasters. Uh, we talk about uh, huge uh, major earthquakes or floods, uh, if at all. And Jim, you've been there before in terms of rationing health care at Haiti and a few other places uh, where you were forced to. Let's talk about uh, who decides. And basically, it's a decision as to who's going to get health care, who is not triage. You just let people go if they uh, have uh, crossed over, if you will. They've uh, hit critical mass over the edge. Uh, talk about the philosophy and what you actually do. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is you have to have kind of a consensus of where we're at, kind of a rules of engagement. So, you know, and and so first, you know, you have standard uh, quality of care, standards of care that have to be met. Once things start to get overwhelmed, which we already were at, you go into what's called contingency planning. Now, that's that is some rationing, right? We took away some elective surgeries. Uh, we closed down offices. Uh, so we've already been there for quite a while in, in contingency stage. And in that stage, you can have more, you know, nurses taking care of more than just their normal ratio of patients. Uh, You can have doctors who, you know, maybe aren't specialists, but are qualified to do certain things now doing those things. You don't get every test that you would normally get. Um, And then maybe a little bit less in documentation and that type of stuff. Once you get into crisis standard of care, that's a different thing. And that's got to be kind of a consensus that we all agree we're there. Because at that stage, you're right. I mean, now we may not get any tests. We just have to treat clinically. If we're wrong, we're wrong. If we're right, we're right. But we don't have time or, uh, you know, the resources to get all those tests. We stop documenting. You know, documentation is mostly uh, a lot, a large majority of it is for billing and for legal purposes. Now we start documenting just 
just so the next doctor along the road knows what we're doing. And that's really it. Um, and then, you know, things like yours, like you said, if somebody has a heart attack or they start, they stop breathing or, uh, you know, their pulse uh, suddenly goes, we don't do CPR because we don't have the resources to actually take care of that person. They technically died. We don't try and bring them back to life because we have no place to put them. We're not there yet. But, uh, you know, it's certainly possible that we get there. Yeah, well, L.A. County, uh, according to the L.A. Times, uh, talking to a whole group of uh, doctors saying we literally are on the edge. And as this thing gets worse, many doctors are convinced we're basically there. It's not going to be too much longer. Uh, And let me ask you, uh, you have uh, uh, done medicine. You have practiced medicine uh, under these conditions Uh, Do they pull you out of the ER room and reduce the number of doctors there and then move you into dealing with COVID cases? Um, you know, that's not, you know, we, we use everybody according to their skill set, really. So, again, what we do is, uh, is just, uh, you know, we would augment ER doctors with other doctors, you know, that can maybe diagnose and treat COVID, uh, say family practice doctors or internal medicine doctors. Same thing with, uh, with critical care doctors in the ICU. We would augment them with other doctors that, uh, that maybe aren't critical care trained, but they could be supervised by a critical care doctor and take care of them. Uh, general surgeons suddenly, you know, in Haiti, um, I did an eye surgery with a general surgeon who was not an ophthalmologist. And, uh, you know, if, if this woman didn't get her eye was infected, if we didn't do it, she was going to get a brain infection and die. And uh, so this general surgeon called an ophthalmologist on the phone. They walked through the procedure together. And then I did the I was the anesthesiologist. He was the, the eye doctor. And we did it. So those are the type of things that happen. Now, um Tell me if I'm right on this one, because you have the orthopedic uh, doctors, right? the surgeons, you have the neurosurgeons, uh, the cardiologists, etc. Since they're not doing those uh, elective surgeries, uh, particularly the orthopedic guys, you know, so you stay with a a bad knee or a bad hip. Are are they working or they're just simply off the clock during all of this? Yeah, I mean, they all have different comfort levels as far as taking care of patients that are non-orthopedic. So um, most of them are honestly are not working, but there are some, especially in disasters, I've seen uh, some that come out of the woodwork and start actually doing patient care. You know, they start, uh, they know how to do wound care. They're, they're really good at that because of orthopedic surgery. Uh, they're good at a lot of other things. So they, uh, they can manage uh, a lot of other non-orthopedic conditions. Um, you know, same thing, plastic surgeons. I mean, you know, they may do a lot of, uh, of procedures that are cosmetic. And now that those are out the window, they really know how to do a lot of other things as well. So it, it really, it's, it's almost comes down to an individual thing, how much other skills you've kept up. I mean, if you're a super specialist, you know, hand surgeon that does one hand surgery, you know, 80% of the time, I don't know that there's anybody like that. But, you know, if, if that's your, your gig, then all of a sudden going back and trying to do regular medicine can be very difficult and, and pretty scary. It would be like sending, you know, a layperson in, in some cases, to do critical care. I think that would be overwhelming. All right, Jim, thanks much. I know you have a full day ahead of you. Take care. And, yeah, we'll, ta- and we'll, all right, we'll talk again. Uh, unfortunately, probably too much. All right, big stories that we're covering. The Moderna vaccine is now being distributed. And even though there have been some issues in terms of uh, distribution, uh, and there have been some uh, mishaps. 
uh, now it's starting to go crazy, but uh, most of us, assuming you're not 75 or older or underlying uh, conditions uh, or you're not essential in the sense of first responders, even working in food stores, it's going to be spring, uh, maybe summer. So uh, we've, uh, we're going to wait. In the meantime, two things are happening. Uh, the numbers are going crazy. Hospitalizations are going up. Deaths are over three. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 118,000. Uh, and so uh, while that is going on and travel is increasing, and uh, what was it, a couple of days ago, 2 million people in one day, uh, the TSA uh, did uh, security for at airports. I mean, it was down to, what, 200,000 or less as the pandemic started. So that is happening. And then the stimulus stimulus deal just kicked in, or at least the agreement in principle has been reached. The compromise has been reached between the Republicans and uh, the Democratic leadership. And then it's going to be voted on uh, today, tomorrow. The president will sign it and the checks will start Uh, flying. Uh, The deal was announced yesterday. Uh, The uh, leaders, uh, Pelosi and Schumer and Mitch McConnell, uh, Kevin McCarthy, they were all uh, sitting uh, together for hours and hours. So um, here's what's going on and why it's so critical that we get another stimulus deal. Retail sales sagging, small business closure, worse than six months, Unemployment applications, a four-month high, manufacturing slowing down, hunger, uh, especially among families with kids, the highest point uh, in this recession, and that is one of uh, the the worst parts of uh, this recession. I know it's going to go into a depression, probably not, uh, but I'll talk about that a little bit later and uh, what is going on. That's one of my pet peeves in a country like this, and I don't care how bad The economy is. People going hungry just drives me completely nuts. And the original uh, bill for this uh, pandemic relief package, the Democrats wanted $2 trillion. The Republicans wanted half a a trillion, $500 billion. And uh, there is a compromise. Um, At this point, with this package, as 14 economists interviewed by the Washington Post said that this package should be big enough to keep the economy from backsliding even further. So let me tell you what the package consists of. Relief for small business, the unemployed, public transportation, schools, vaccine distribution, new money for rental assistance, food aid, $300 a week in unemployment benefits, additional employment benefits through March, uh, and $600 payments to most taxpayers uh, making under $75,000 a year or less. And all the kids uh, in those uh, households also get uh, the $600. Uh, But we're in for a real tough, tough four months, as we know. 
And uh, the Dow is now down uh, 350 points. So uh, it's going to be a little bit of a rough day, to say the least. So what's going to bring the economy back? It's real simple. We're a consumer-driven economy, have been uh, forever. And it's when are Americans going to feel comfortable enough to return to restaurants, sports venues, and travel? And it's either going to be a slow grind or a slow uptick, or as soon as someone gets the vaccine, boom, into the restaurants they go. There's such pent-up uh, pent demand uh, that I think it's, uh, it is going to come back, roaring back at some point. Spring, summer, when enough people have been vaccinated and feel comfortable enough. Now, I'm one of those. You get me the vaccine, uh, which I'm going to take as soon as I possibly can. And uh, I am then, therefore, being comfortable going to restaurants, uh, going to the movie theater. Well, actually not because I binge, but uh, going out, going to events. Uh, because it, if something is 95% effective, and so you got a 5% chance, and knowing that even if you get COVID with the vaccine, the symptoms are reduced dramatically, and the chances of hospitalizations or death are even more reduced, you know what? You're going to go for it, especially knowing that most people out there have uh, received the vaccine. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, right now, you've got a whole bunch of people, mainly Republicans, and here's where it comes into politics, the vaccine. We've talked about that before. Uh, that as more and more people become vaccinated, and the news is starting to coming out that those are the people that are not getting COVID. Then you have uh, folks that say, I ah, will never get the vaccine looking around and going, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. Now, there'll always be diehards who will say, I will never get vaccinated. Like, but what, because you get autism or whatever crazy connection that the anti-vax people have. But it might go back to the anti-vax people. Uh, and now, and I even think some of those will uh, will go over to uh, the light side as opposed to staying on the dark side. Uh, because this is not somebody gets measles, somebody uh, gets rubella, and you don't really ever know anybody. Look at the numbers of COVID deaths, hospitalizations, and cases there are in this country. And as soon as the figures come out uh, where people who are vaccinated, uh, a tiny percentage will actually get COVID. Uh, fewer percentage will get to hospitalization. And the number of deaths among those that are vaccinated are a small, small percentage relative to those who are not. I think you're going to see the tide turn there, too. So the package is here. Uh, is it going to be enough? Well, it's certainly going to help. And uh, Joe Biden said, uh, as uh, he is going to become president January 20th, this is a down payment. Republicans are saying, we, do we keep on adding to the national debt? Yeah, under these circumstances, you do. Because these are the lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans. At that point, you go, all right, uh, is it worth a few more or a lot more tax dollars? I think so. A story I want to share with you and... Uh, you know, everybody has uh, their pet peeves, and uh, one of mine is how uh, Americans in a country as wealthy as we are uh, can uh, suffer food insecurity. 
uh, in some cases beyond food insecurity. And uh, the coronavirus recession, because of the high unemployment, economic uncertainty, because of businesses closing down, more and more people simply don't have enough to eat. And the food banks are totally overridden, and the food banks can't keep up. And if you look at the videos, uh, if you look at the what the news outlets are showing us, uh, miles-long uh, lines of cars at food banks, uh, hours of uh, waiting, and the people uh, who heretofore would never, ever be getting food at a food bank. In many cases, they were volunteers prior to the pandemic. So, you know what's going on? Shoplifting. I mean, in a big, big way. And not the shoplifting that has been traditional, uh, where you have items, uh, makeup, uh, televisions. Oh, it's pretty hard to shoplift an 85-inch uh, TV, but I guess it can be done. You know what's being shoplifted? Staples. Things that were never shoplifted before. Rice and beans and pasta. And it's by people who... You wouldn't think would ever do this, but it's a question of feeding the family. 54 million Americans will struggle with hunger this year. That's up 45%. Food aid programs are being reduced. Federal assistance programs are on the, uh, literally on the brink of expiration. And uh, no one seems to be, be able to keep up with this. Now, this is one of those issues where, and I've said this over and over again, Americans are the most generous people in the world. Number one, because of our innate generosity anyway, uh, but also because we have to be. We don't have a safety net the way other countries do. So uh, we have to go to food banks that are private nonprofits. Uh, There aren't enough government programs out there like there used to be that would give money to the schools or give uh, that would give food to the schools, cheese, particularly dairy products, that sort of thing. And so uh, the the amount of shoplifting that's going up and and what's also happening is that storekeepers, they're hiring extra security, uh, which costs money. Uh, and at the same time, realizing that it may cost more money for the security. And what do you do? You, you call the police when some shop uh, lifter is caught and the police, uh, do they come out anymore? Well, police budgets are being strained, being cut. And it's just one of those things where no one bothers. Uh, so the shoplifters are uh, effectively being given a free ride. And this is one of those where these are real criminals, aren't they? Trying to feed their families. Tell me you don't look at them differently. And traditionally, shoplifting was more of an employee issue. It's called shrinkage. Great word for uh, losing products to uh, in-store personnel. Well, that switched over uh, to now just customers coming in and uh, you know, grabbing items or adding items to their shopping cart. So is there a way out of it? Yeah, yeah. Big governmental intervention. Uh, that's what happened uh, during the Great Depression when FDR came in and a lot of people go, oh, make work. Look what he did. He started socialism. Yeah, in many cases he did. He created programs we probably didn't need to keep millions of people alive. The Civilian Conservation Corps. Uh, you go to Mount Wilson. You go uh, to the observatory. You go to the Sepulveda Dam. 
Uh, these were projects that were built by the Works Progress Administration, WPA. Uh, a lot of people go, that was just make work, although kind of in, in retrospect, it's kind of neat. But uh, did we really need to do that during the Depression? Yeah, we sure did. Because that kept millions of workers uh, alive. So are, are we at that place? Well, we'll see over the next few months. And, and the good news is going to be temporary. The Depression lasted 10 years. Uh, this depression, if you want to call it a depression, this recession is probably going to last until mid-next year. And uh, I, I don't think the government has any choice. So we're going to add private donations and just be more cognizant and give money, more money. Uh, and the government has to jump in. You'll see that with Joe Biden as president. And if the election in Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Georgia goes to the Democrats, you're going to see some pretty massive intervention. Now, it looks like uh, the relief package is on its way. A $900 billion pandemic relief package uh, will be voted on today or tomorrow, and then the checks will start flying out in the next couple of days. Uh, And the uh, Moderna vaccine is now being distributed, which is uh, absolutely terrific news. On the other side, the numbers are uh, rising exponentially in terms of deaths and cases. And uh, the issue now becomes the polit- uh, politicalization of uh, uh, not just the vaccine, because we talked about that earlier. The number of people who are going to be taking the vaccine, uh, interestingly enough, is almost geographical. The further south you go in this country... Uh, the fewer people are going to be taking the vaccine. The further right you go politically, uh, the fewer people are going to be taking the vaccine. All right, uh, which is not an anomaly predicated on the politics, on the Trump administration downplaying uh, the pandemic, uh, downplaying, well, even the importance of the vaccine, though. That seems to be a little counterintuitive. Because the president has pushed the vaccine very hard, the development of the vaccine, but that's where it stops. No mention at all about the number of deaths, cases, hospitalizations that seem to have disappeared. So the pandemic has disappeared uh, in the eyes of the administration. So let's talk about social distancing and masks for a moment. The same thing is going on. The further south you go in this country, the fewer people wear masks. The further right you go politically, 
the fewer people wear masks. So how do those two connect? Where's the most conservative part of the United States? The Deep South. Who is going to take the fewer? Who's going to accept the fewer vaccinations? The Deep South. It becomes geographical uh, and it becomes geopolitical because here geography and politics are uh, absolutely meshing in in far more than just simple politics. Uh, Deep South votes Republican. Uh, the coasts vote Democrat. Uh, so who's getting nailed the most on this? Um, well, uh, workers at retail. Uh, and uh, I'm looking at studies that have been done, and there was a study that was done uh, that surveyed 11,000 service sector workers, uh, 71 companies, Walmart, Kroger, Chipotle, Waffle House, Dunkin', Wendy's. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of people. And you could just go straight down geography. You take those, uh, you take those retail outlets, fewer people wearing masks, uh, more frightened workers are. Uh, why? Because fewer people wearing masks. And social distancing doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. And they're scared. And they should be scared. Because if you look at the numbers of retail workers, and we don't have all the numbers yet. Uh, we're only starting to connect. But we do have the numbers in terms of mask wearing and social distancing. And if you believe mask wearing and social distancing are important to limit the spread of uh, this disease, then you're going to look at this and go, okay, uh, this is not right. And then workers in these organizations are, uh, first of all, they're paid very low wages. They don't have benefits. They're not unionized. So they don't have a lot of control. And uh, the philosophy uh, amongst uh, businesses, the customer is always right. And if customers don't want to wear masks, they don't wear masks, especially in those states in which the governor, uh, county officials, will not mandate masks. Now, here in Southern California, I mean, we don't even need a mandate. I don't go to the store and ever see someone who doesn't wear a mask. It just doesn't happen. Uh, if someone, and there's security guards there, I'm assuming if someone tries to go in without a mask, uh, I would think that is security personnel or someone at the door, and if there isn't security, there's always someone at the door now, an employee, and if you try to walk in without a mask, although I've never seen this because I don't see people walking in without a mask, the employee would hand someone a mask and say, you have to wear this. I would think that would be a good compromise. In the South, you got 30% in certain states and in certain stores. 36% of people that won't wear masks. It's even got to the point now with me, I take walks. So I go outside. And as I told you, we keep our distance, whoever's walking. Uh, and if I'm walking and I don't have a mask and someone else doesn't have a mask, uh, we separate out by at least 20 feet. If I'm walking down the sidewalk, someone's walking toward me, toward me, one of us goes out in the middle of the street. Now, we're all wearing masks and doing that. And so, we are in a different position. Although, and I'll tell you, this becomes a little counterintuitive. If we wear masks and practice social distancing more than other places in the United States, why is L.A. County exploding why have we become the hot spot why are we talking about rationing uh medical cares we did with dr jim keeney earlier on 
Uh, why are we talking about ICU beds? Zero in L.A. County. We don't have any. So as these numbers pan out, first of all, they seem to be intuitive. Isn't it logical that uh, the more people wear masks, the more social distancing, the more hand washing that goes on, that would stop the spread? Well, in a county which practices uh, those safety uh, those safety features as much as anybody else in the country, I'd say even more so, we're exploding here. And maybe the argument is from uh, a, uh, a Wendy's employee in Alabama, you see, wearing masks, social distancing actually increases the chances of you getting the disease. Go figure. Boy, there's some weird stuff about this pandemic that uh, we're going to be studying for years and years. Hollywood uh, and uh, pandemic movies. How is it dealing with the pandemic? Now, usually this time of year, what, what kind of movies do you see? Well, the, harm, the Hallmark romances, uh, the music specials, uh, cute kids, dogs, Rudolph, uh, Peanuts, you know, all the same, uh, it's a wonderful life, all the same holiday fare. 2020 is a little bit different uh, because uh, the cheer that Hollywood finds so profitable, uh, well, they're actually moving in a different direction. We're getting our uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Grinch and all that uh, but uh, and uh, A Christmas Carol, but we're also getting... Uh, stories of uh, the pandemic. Now, when the the pandemic first came out, we saw those movies talking about viruses that went out of control. One of them, I think, was Pandemic. The other one, I remember, Dustin Hoffman was in. Now, those were prescient. Uh, Those were released years earlier. Or the ones that came out had already been years into uh, production or distribution before the pandemic broke. However... Uh, it, there's some new stuff out there. Uh, there's a movie studio, sort of mid-range, uh, is releasing Songbird, a uh, story of society gone amok a few years into this virus. Uh, it's debuting on digital platforms, produced by Michael Bay, the Transformers guy. Uh, and it's all about uh, a post-op, uh, a post-op, a yeah, pop, Apocalyptic. There you go. Thank you very much. Um, in which uh, it's not a nuclear disaster. It's uh, the pandemic. It is the coronavirus. Uh, the Stand, a limited series based on the Stephen King novel, massive budget. And again, it's about a post-apocalyptic world where the pandemic has struck. And why is that? Well, it's because that's where our interest lies, and uh, Hollywood assumes that we're going to be riveted to those stories. Now, there's two sides of that one. I mean, are people going to move away? They have enough. They they hear it every day on the news. They hear it from me, for those of you that do listen. We see it and hear it constantly. Are we done? Well, uh, maybe not, because a good story is a good story. Keep that in mind. A well-crafted, well-directed, well-written film or television show is always worth watching. And Hollywood is guessing that those films are going to do very well. 
And uh, Songbird is a real interesting one. This is the one that's coming out. Set in 2023, it's between scary reality and even scarier future. A small group of people who are immune-free or who are immune move freely along this desolate city. Uh, Everybody else locks themselves indoors, and they're living by deliveries or sent to a Q zone if they test positive. And as you would think, a Romeo and Juliet story, Nico, a bike courier, has immunity, is in love with Sarah, a young woman who doesn't. And the only time they can get together is across six feet at best, because the rules also apply. And so it's a different spin. We'll see what Hollywood uh, has to uh, has to offer. I'm one of those people that actually watch. You know, as the pandemic broke, and all of a sudden you saw all these pandemic movies, uh, that old movies, 10 years old, 12 years old, uh, that were made, uh, movies that were 20 years old, talking about viruses and diseases, well, always viruses that have spread throughout throughout the earth or America. It's, um, yeah, I'm watching those. Then again, I'm a cynic, aren't I? All right, so 2020. Uh, He's going to go down as, uh, I'm guessing, the worst year of this century. And we're only 20 years uh, into the century. Uh, I don't have any doubt this is going to be one horrible, disgusting, terrible year. I mean, obviously. So 2020 was supposed to be the best year and the last chance to save the planet. So what happened? Uh, The virus happened. When the year began, uh, the youth climate movement was gaining big traction. There was a key summit in Glasgow, Scotland, Glasgow, Scotland, and it looked like it was going to bring back uh, to life the Paris Climate uh, Agreement. Uh, The stakes are huge, and we've been hearing this over and over again, that every day without action, the window to prevent catastrophic climate change narrows. Uh, Inger Anderson, director of uh, the U.N. Environment Program, says this is really a midnight to midnight. I mean, a minute to midnight. And so hopes that this was going to be the year evaporated. Uh, The possibilities uh, have just gone away. But it's even worse than that. Uh, Because, well, first of all, the facts and figures themselves. Without a course uh, uh, correction, uh, according to Anderson... We're heading for a 3.5 degrees Celsius uh, of warming by the century's end. And scientists are saying that's catastrophic. It's that simple. Coastal cities will drown. You'll get heat waves, droughts, floods. I mean, far more than what we're experiencing today. And uh, large parts of the world will simply be uninhabitable. It will be uh, post-apocalyptic. Hunger, disease, conflict, uh, migration. And if you don't think that's the case, think again. Uh, it will be happening 100%. So, to turn that around, fossil fuel production has to drop by 6% a year for the next decade. It has to drop by 60% over the next 10 years. And what's going on with countries? They're still planning an average, across the world, an average annual increase of 2%. And here's another stat that's kind of fun. So far, the 20 biggest economies 
And these are countries that have dedicated themselves to deal with climate change, right? Recognize that climate change uh, and global warming, actually, uh, is this huge issue, and we're going to do something about it. All right, so 20 of those biggest economies have spent $146 billion for renewable power, energy-efficient, carbon-cutting, $146 billion on the good side. Uh, do you know how much they've spent uh, in boosting fossil fuels? $233 billion. 50% more in advocating and pushing for and spending money on fossil fuel production and use than uh, alternate ener- energy. Boy, would you have thought, come on, Really? Never would have imagined that. I mean, when I read these numbers, I looked again, saying there's something wrong. Now, uh, the new administration coming in, the U.S. will become an ally, not an obstacle to uh, climate progress. Uh, And there are nations committed to slash net carbon emissions to zero by 2050. Uh, The problem is, these are the modern European, uh, the modern countries, Europe, uh, the European Union, Japan, South Korea, Britain, Canada... Then you have these massive countries uh, where fossil fuels are being just pumped into the environment, into the atmosphere, and without the benefit of the scrubbing that we do. If you go to a power plant, you'll notice that what you see coming out of the stacks is uh, it looks like clouds. It's vapor. It's white vapor. Right? The... Uh, What's going on with the carbon emissions, it's been scrubbed. Go to a power plant in China or India. It spews out this black, thick, noxious smoke is what we used to have before uh, some environmental controls came in. And uh, so, you know, are we actually going to get there? I have my doubts. I really do. We talk a big game, but I don't think it's going to be there. And what we're going to have to do is deal with it after the fact. And there may be no way to deal with it. And then there's a whole issue of deforestation. Uh, in Brazil, 60% of the Amazon. And the Amazon uh, is, the Amazon jungle is quite often called the lungs of the earth because it produces so much oxygen and absorbs so much uh, CO2. And what's happening is... Uh, the government, uh, this is Jair Bolsonaro's government, totally ignored seizures of public land, totally uh, gutted the regulatory agencies meant to stop it. And if you look at the deforestation, the burning of the Amazon to provide grazing lands and plantations for palm oil uh, and soybeans, uh, it's, it's wiping out, wiping out the forests. And if it keeps on going, uh, it's none of this is good news when it comes to climate change. And here is the problem: uh, the scientists are telling us, and have been telling us, uh, that we're getting closer and closer. As a matter of fact, if you looked at what uh, climatologists were saying twenty, thirty years ago, they were saying it's going to be a hundred years when we hit critical mass, when we go over the edge. Now we're hearing it's going to be 30 years before we hit that point. It's going to be tough for our kids and grandkids, that's for sure. Uh, it's, uh, we're kicking the can down the road, and it's, uh, it's a big can, to say the least. 
The uh, plan that the president had uh, to uh, remove illegal immigrants from the census. Remember that issue uh, that the question was going to be asked, are you legal or are you not legal? And that was shut down. Uh, And so what uh, the president did is uh, issue a memorandum saying we are not going to count illegal aliens uh, as part of uh, the population for purposes of the census. And that means that uh, the makeup of uh, the congressional districts changes and California would be nailed on this one uh, because uh, if you remove the illegal aliens in California, uh, we've lost two million people for the census and we lose probably one, maybe two congressional seats. Uh, And this is California and New York that are going to get nailed uh, and that's uh, that that is uh, been the Trump philosophy hates us, hates New York uh, because of our politics, because of liberalism, because of the anti-Trump sentiment, all of that. So uh, a lower court ruled that uh, that memo that the president uh, issued uh, was blocked, that the government could not move forward. President couldn't move forward. Supreme Court just overturned that saying that the president could move forward, clearly a win for the president. Not quite. And why is that? Because the reason the court overturned it and said, uh, we are putting this off the table is because it's not ripe yet. You don't know. You don't have real figures. You haven't come up with real harm. It's too early. It's premature. And so... The uh, government is free to go forward, and the census is free to issue actually two numbers. One number uh, that includes uh, undocumented people in this country, uh, which actually is closer to being scientifically based, and then one number that excludes them, which is pure speculation. There's no way to know how many there are. And the court even said that. Uh, That when you come to court, you're going to have some real problems because we have to know how many and you don't know how many. And you can't argue speculation. You have to argue real numbers. We want facts. And even the government attorney agreed uh, saying that this is speculation that we're not going to uh, come up with the number that the policy uh, is not going to work or probably won't work. And what this is, is just, it's a Pyrrhic victory. Uh, That the lower court said you can't do it, so they take it up. Uh, The Trump administration takes it up, and the the, the court says, yeah, 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 but, you know, it's way too early. Oh, by the way— If you ever do have numbers or you try to have numbers, we're going to ask you on what basis did you come up with numbers? How many do you know? Since you can't ask people if they are or aren't, now what? You expect us to rule and based on your assumption that there are X number millions of undocumented people, we're going to rule in your favor? And the, you know, the history of the Trump administration has been exactly this, all the way from the Muslim ban uh, to uh, environmental issues. The only place where the president has actually won is in directives 
that he has issued. And even then he has lost many times because he simply hasn't followed the rules. There have been case after case where the court said, yeah, of course you have the power to do that, but you're, you're, what you're doing is you're violating your own policy, your own procedures. The law that says you must do A, B, C, and D before you go forward. And we're going to uphold a directive which we otherwise would have. You can't go from A to D. And that's the situation with this. Uh, Even though we're uh, stopping at this point, uh, upholding the lower court, go ahead, create your numbers, but guess what? Ain't going to happen. Because your numbers, uh, you're going to basically have to make them up. And that doesn't fly. Not when it comes to the census. And not when it comes to something as important as delineating how many congressional districts you have. There are 435 congresspeople. And it is split up among populations. So when a state increases a population, it gets more. When a state decreases population, it gets fewer. And it is estimated that California has 2 million undocumented. And a loss of 2 million people in the population would, as I said, would cost at least one, if not two. So there's uh, the latest Supreme Court ruling in terms of what the administration can or cannot do. This is KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.